0: G'day, good day. This is Rita Joanne and welcome to the Unbox Your Give Podcast, How to Turn a Passion into a Profession. Today you'll hear an interview from Catherine Woolenscott. Now, Catherine is a ghostwriter, so if ever you've wanted to use your craft of writing and you wanted to learn how to become a published author, how to actually write other people's stories, how to get clients, how to market yourself, what kind of training you need, this is all covered in the podcast today with Catherine, where she'll talk about her journey, how she didn't go to university and how that actually was the best thing she ever did. And in fact, she talks about how she actually asked people who had gone to university to become writers. And they said, once they finished university, they had writers block for the next 10 years. And that she didn't want her work to be critiqued in front of a whole class. And it's really interesting because guys, the way that the map the way that the traditional way of doing something has completely changed in order for you to really ignite your own creativity. Just because something has been done a certain way for such a long time doesn't mean it's going to align or amplify your voice. You need to question the direction you're going, you need to question the method that you're using, the process that you're using, whether it's going to university or not or getting retrained or learning through a different means. And I talk about that in this interview and I'm so excited to share it with you because she will give her, we start off the interview with her biggest failure in this journey and she'll share that with you and it was with writing and then how she overcame that. She'll share how she actually gets clients and how she was able to secure to write the biography of Jim Penman. For those who don't know, Jim Penman is a huge success story in Australia. He's a businessman, he's a PhD historian and then one day decided to just mow lawns for a living because he enjoyed it. He mowed one lawn, then a second and a third. It became a full-time job for him. Then it turned into a business. Then he started to scale it. Now he has a $500 million business with 4,000 franchises and about 35,000 plus customers per day. It's a huge story. I mean, and then she secured the rights to be able to write his story. It completely uh, allowed her confidence to completely, and how she actually got that, because she's very early on in her journey still, and to know how she got that gig, and that allowed her to build credibility within her own circle of clients, is really the the take home message here. So if ever you've wanted to be a ghostwriter, if ever you've wanted to learn how to be able to take this passion this craft and turn it into a profession this is the interview for you and even if you don't want to be a ghostwriter, there are gems in this interview that you can take and you can transfer to the other things that you want to do other professions that you want to take and create a legacy with so listen to it guys and at the very end of it um I'm going to, so listening, because Catherine's actually going, I'm going to actually mention Catherine, how to get in contact with Catherine, if you want her to coach, uh, be a book coach. And I'll just actually mention it now. It's probably easier said than done now. The best way to contact Catherine is through her website, which is Catherine, Woolenscott.com.au. That's spelled C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, M-O-L-E-N-S-C-H-O-T dot, com dot au, and that'll be in the show notes as well uh for you guys and then if you want to learn more about her books um i'll put the links in the show notes as well to um for you guys to follow up with if that's what you choose but listening guys you're going to love this interview you're going to get the inside story of how to turn a passion into a profession and specifically with this episode with writing enjoy Catherine, tell me about a failure that you've had on this whole journey.
1: Absolutely, so I think probably the biggest and most public failure I've had was actually near the start of my journey. So I went to a school, uh, I went to a Steiner school and at my Steiner school, some do it differently, but we did what's called a year 12 project. And it's actually what very- What is Steiner cool.
0: school? Yeah. Well, what, what is a Steiner school?
1: Oh, okay. So science School is, um, well, so the philosophy was founded by a man called Rudolf Steiner like over a hundred years ago. And, um, and the whole idea behind it, from my understanding, and it's a very deep and complex philosophy, but the idea of what meets the children in the school environment is for it to be an education for their whole self. So one of the very, very basic ideas is, you know, as humans, we develop in like seven year stages. So the first seven years of life, it's all about the hand. So he talks about hand, head, heart. So it's all about the hands, which means physical movement. It's all about using your body, learning your body, fine motor coordination, gross motor coordination, playing, imaginative play, interacting with others, social stuff. So those first seven years are so important. Then the next seven years, naturally, we're typically more developing our heart, which just means the emotional side of life. And then the next seven years, 14 to 21 is when our intellect is naturally just like on fire and raring to go. So Steiner education, it's so much more deep and interesting than this, but very simply is is an education system that reflects that. So for the first seven years at Steiner, you are much more active outside imaginative play. And, all this, and this is from 100 years ago. And all the studies today are showing imaginative play is the most important thing for children to be doing. Like children learn how to assess risk when they're adults to choose not to go in that car when the driver's drunk by climbing trees when they're kids. That's how you learn how to assess risk. You know? So I'm very passionate about that education system. But, yeah, <laughs> but,
0: yeah.
1: Um, from then, from so the school from up till seven is much more focused on play, and there's still learning, but it's much more focused on that playing, using your body, and like um, playing with friends. And then from seven to fourteen, you start learning to read and write and maths and all these other things, as well as those basic tenets. Um, but it's all led very much through stories. It's all about developing the emotional life. So there's stories shared every day you go through, I can't even remember, you go through all the biblical stories, all the Norse gods, all the Greek gods, Egypt, like you go through all these different areas of mythology and stories. Um, and then 14 to 21 though, of course, school kind of ends at 18, 14 to 18 is when obviously you're learning academic stuff before that, but it's when the academics really just kick in.
0: Beautiful. So, so sorry, I interrupted you. So you're talking about your journey and I stopped you asking about what's a Steiner school. So please go ahead. Yeah.
1: So, so at my school um, in year 12, we had what's called a year 12 project. And what I love about the year 12 project is the idea behind it is that kids at the age of, you know, 17, when they're approaching the, their last year of school, they have to choose to do something for a whole year that they are interested enough in for them to be self-driven and motivated to finish and complete what they said at the beginning of the year they would start. They have a supervisor, which is like they're assigned a supervisor. So that's a teacher at the school who catches up with them every week to like just check how they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and is like there for support. And they themselves have to go and seek CAD and ask someone in the greater public to mentor them for the whole year. And that's just itself a very scary thing to do mm-hmm. at the very beginning of your project. So you're asking a 17-year-old, well, obviously all the kids are thinking about it throughout the all of high school. <laughs> you're asking a 17-year-old to really assess who they are, what they enjoy doing, what they're gonna be able to be self-motivated enough to do for a year. You are asking them to find a professional in that field, out in the real world, ask them to give them their time and like an hour a week or half an hour a week, catch up every week um, to, to help teach you that craft. And then at the end of it, you've got to produce what you've said you were gonna produce and it could be anything. So people have built um, bungalows, people have built three houses actually, this one guy turned a massive size, life-size car into a remote-controlled car. And he wasn't even, like, a mechanic or an engineer. Like, he's just brilliant. I don't know how he did that. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible feat. Um, you know, people have written books. People have put on one-woman show plays. People have done CDs and launched them in the city. People have done art exhibitions and launched them in the city. It's, it's varied. Mm-hmm. I mean, I chose to write a book. So... And you failed one... And- <laughs> Yeah and I failed at that. So, so what happened was I I chose to write a book um, and it was going to be um, based on a whole lot of interviews with very successful people where I was learning their life stories and but it was going to be a novel and my idea was there'd be this main character that like walked like moved didn't walk, but she moved through the book and moved through the story kind of on this traveling journey of trying to figure out who she is and self-growth and on that journey she would meet all these different characters who would all impart their wisdom and their life stories and help her evolve. And like, it kind of sounded nice in my head, but um, I was very busy during year 12. I was very stressed because I had a lot on my plate. So as well as year 11 and year 12, I also did a lot of personal development outside of school. So my, my workload was pretty intense. And then I was also being a team leader at youth camps on all the holidays. So, so school was very busy in year 12. And then in year 12, I also gave my TEDx talk. So, and that was in like, really busy month it was like very stressful i almost didn't do it because it was just so full on so what happened was school was very busy and um in the past i wrote my first book at 13 which was for a year my year eight project which is like a mini project to practice this is such a long answer you're probably like oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) wrap it up um but i'll do my best so what happened was I started writing this novel and rather than listening to like intuition and inspiration and writing from that place, which is what I've done in the past when I wrote my first book at 13, I, I could tell the book and the novel just wasn't working, but I just kept at it and forced myself through it because i was so busy. I had so much to do and I wasn't going to fail at this. Like I was so like the book was about success. I wanted to be a success. I wanted to be a successful writer. And this was like, it was going to happen. It was going to be successful. So I just like barreled through it. And then I, um, I can I think it was nine weeks away from the due date. This is a year long project. So nine weeks away from the due date. Um, when I sent my draft to my mentor, she called me and I remember her saying, um, you know, I just remember that pause. And then she was like, so I think you should consider throwing this book out and starting again. And basically the novel was so terrible that she didn't think nine weeks was enough time to fix it and it was gonna be I was going to have a better result if I threw it out and just started from scratch at nine, nine weeks.
0: Oh, to go. Really, sugar. And you've got all this pressure on you for year 12. Oh, man. Yeah, but
1: all that year 12 pressure. But also I've got my whole community at school. Like, you know, I remember before our year 12 projects, just as an offhand comment, one of the guys in my class was like, oh, yeah, Catherine will get an HD for her project. So our projects are actually graded um, on like a university scale. So you get high distinctions, distinctions, da, 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 da. You know, like, like there was expectations in my class. Like I remember him just assuming I would get a high distinction for my year 12 project. This was in year 11 before we'd begun. So, the, you know, I was the one who would like, you know, was going out and doing talks and like going to all these different events. And I kind of, I had this idea in my head, but it's how true it was that everyone was kind of expecting something mm. cool of me, like something mm. cool for me to produce. And there I was at nine weeks and just like throw it out and start again. And I was just like, oh, it was horrible. It was so painful, and I sat on the couch just like, I just, because at the end of our projects, we stand on a stage for 45 minutes and give a talk to all our teachers, all our friends, all the parents of all our friends, our whole school community for 45 minutes talking about our project what and is presenting. It a person? Pardon? Yeah, it's each. Oh my God. That's one of the other, and then you also have to write a thesis on your whole experience as well. Oh. So, I was sitting there going, I have to be on stage, and I have nothing to show for myself. Like, ah. So what ended up happening? Um, oh, I've actually got it on the bookshelf there. Shall I run and get it? Yeah. I sure ended up, yeah. <laughs> a book. Where
0: is it?
1: So I ended up writing a very very short little book in nine weeks, and it was. So slapped together, it's not funny. Um, But I ended up getting a high distinction (laughs) because um, the lesson for me, obviously, was I was so focused on this idea of success. And instead I wrote a book, Missing the U, Failure is Underrated.
0: Oh, wow. What I
1: actually did was in that moment, and I hand bound it, I didn't have time. I like finished this at the due date. I had to like hand bind it, like cut all the letters out. Like I didn't have time for anything. It was so last minute. Um, But I managed to complete this little, short, tiny book about failure. And the reason was when I was sitting there feeling like the biggest failure ever, um, I remembered people I'd interviewed sharing their massive failures. And I remember one of the guys I interviewed saying, you know, there's something really nice about rock bottom. And he said, and that is the rock bottom is rock. It's not quicksand. When you get to rock bottom, you've got a steady foundation upon which you can build again. Oh. Yes. So you know, like, so things like that were coming to me as I'm sitting there, just feeling like the biggest failure ever, and um, and so I wrote a book with. I wrote a parable as well, so my like I was able to reconnect my like the inspiration that I normally connect with when I write, and I wrote a few parables in there, and then I also um, wrote up just a few of my interviewees' stories. Not trying to be a novel, just wrote them up straight, and ended up
0: still getting a good mark. <laughs> exactly. that, that's brilliant because that obviously sets you on the trajectory to continue writing. So, what is ghost? Because you're a ghostwriter. What is ghostwriting, and how on earth do you find people to use that craft? Like, how did you find Jim Pema? So, first of all, what is ghostwriting?
1: Yeah. So, ghostwriting is where, like, a CEO or a professional, or some celebrities do it too. Um, I haven't worked with a celebrity yet, though. Um, but when I typically work with CEOs or business owners, um, and some professionals too, who they want to book, they have either it's a life story, maybe it's a memoir, or maybe they're you know, run a business and they've got a whole lot of business lessons and they want to impart their knowledge, but they know that writing is not their skill. So they know they have a lot to give, but the actual craft of putting it together, they're just lost. Um, or they're ridiculously busy and there's just, if they're waiting to get around to do it themselves, so they know it's never going to happen because that's what they've been doing for the past 10 years and it hasn't mm. happened. But they finally reach a point where they go, you know what, I want to a ghostwriter. So what I do is I come in and um, I have like a whole process of like unpack their book. Then we do all the interviewing that I go away and write the first draft. Um, I present that to them and then like, you know, I get their feedback to make it more and more like them. I make sure all the words, words they would use, like I really has to sound like them. So when they read it, they're like, yes. And um, and then, you know, and then I produce that second draft and then um I help them either, you know, pitch to publishers or whatever they're wanting to do. So it's um I love it. The reason why I love it so much is because I'm fascinated by I'm fascinated by people and life journeys, and particularly. You know, when you're writing books for people, they've typically achieved something that's quite impressive. And I'm very inspired by my clients and inspired by the people that I get to work with and the conversations we get to have and the material that I get to work with and write. So it's really awesome.
0: Beautiful. So how did you find a client like Jim? Now, for our listeners, Jim Penman is an Australian success story. He started Mm out by because he just enjoyed it, which is incredible. He got so good at it and he had repeat customers that today it has over 4,000, I was reading it has over 4,000 franchises. He's a multi-millionaire, all starting from mowing people's lawns. It's called the Jim, I think it's Jim's group, it's called. They do mowing yeah. lawns. They do all kinds of stuff now, but they start off just with mowing lawns. And you got the right, you got the privilege to actually write his story. And how did you get Jim Penman on board? Yeah, so um, I should probably give you a little bit of backstory. So I.
1: Um, the I actually before I was a ghostwriter I mean I I still do both today actually so I'm also a book writing coach or mentor or whatever you want to call it so I help people who want to write the book themselves also also professionals and CEOs they want to write the book themselves they know that but they know that they have no idea what they're doing and that they're going to fumble around and waste heaps of time and probably produce not a very good result so they hire me to help them for a six-month process where it's really in-depth and I love that as well and I get to help them write the story themselves and I'm almost like an editor from the beginning guiding them and upskilling their writing skills. And um so that's where I began and then that evolved into ghostwriting naturally by meeting clients who wanted that and then were like actually I don't have the time, could you just like write it for me? It's like yes I could. Um, so Jim Penman um came about because I went to a business networking event and he was like the head, you know, the speaker. Um, And afterwards, I asked a question, you know, when he was um, giving his talk. And then afterwards, I kind of chased after him. I was like, that's kind of interesting and um, suggested to catch up. And he was like, yeah, sure. And gave me a copy of his book, Biohistory. And said, read that and we can catch up. And um, I read it and we had a meeting. And he was originally thinking of having a book that kind of, he's written books about his business journey in the past, but they've been written by him and they were never really professionally edited at all the front cover was pretty in-house and it was never the production value wasn't really there and um and so he was thinking oh you know I've never and he's got his bio history, which is a very long conversation but that's um that's like a whole like he's actually got a PhD in history and anyway so he's got his like books on history. then he's got his books on business and he was like I've never shared anything from my personal life and I've never really merged all of them in one book so he was thinking of that but before and we had one meeting to potentially for me to help him do that And then at the end of the meeting as I was driving home he called me up and he said Catherine I actually think that this isn't going to be very powerful because it's just me talking about my story I think it would be much more powerful if you interview people who hate me and you had a well-rounded that's what he said and you have a well-rounded view of who I really am because I'm a tricky person you know I'm a bit unusual so what if we were to change this what if would you like to actually write a biography on me and that i mean that changes everything i was so excited because when you go from ghostwriting a book for someone their name's on the cover it's their book and all you're doing is interviewing them maybe a couple of other people in their life um, and to write the book from their perspective but what he was basically was saying was hey i'll authorize you to write a biography about me and my whole life and my life story and you can interview all my friends and family who are willing to talk to you because some of them hate him and, you know, and like, I'll introduce you to everyone in the business. You can, you know, interview my estranged sister. I had people who um, only were willing to speak to me after Jim had signed a legal form promising that he wouldn't sue them for anything they told me. So I had a few of those forms that had to go out before I could speak to people. That's exciting! So cool. It was really interesting. So I interviewed over 100 people for the book.
0: Wow.
1: But it was very different because that was a biography. So it was my name on the cover. It's yeah. my book from me. So that was amazing for my career.
0: Can I ask, did you slightly because Jim Penman, for those who don't know he in Australia he is a huge multimillionaire success story because of what I said. Did you slightly freak out because you said you still you kind of you're thinking that oh my God, I'm making it. It's like my first go, like my, you know, I mean in the beginning of my journey and I've just made it. Like did you freak out a little?
1: I got excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, got I was aware of how helpful this would be for my career. Absolutely and mm-hmm. excited mm-hmm. by that. And also by excited for the project itself,
0: yeah. And how long did it take yeah. you to write
1: it? So I began on the 1st of January 2018. My first draft went to the, my publisher, Wiley, um, mid-September. So it was a ridiculously quick turnaround because I interviewed over 100 people and had to gather all the material and all the fact-checking and, oh my goodness, such a job. Um, and then Wiley and I did our rounds of editing and I think it went to the printers around November. And then it came out in March. Okay. so, yeah, so very quick, very quick. <laughs> a,
0: a ghostwriter, for someone who's listening, is there any specific training that one needs or just the love of writing?
1: Yeah, there is. So, I mean, so I wrote my first book when I was 13. Then I wrote this male book in year 12. Then I wrote this little tiny book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was the first time i'd really written a non-fiction book before that it had been fiction then after high school i wrote another fiction novel um and then and then i wrote jim's book which was a massive massive non-fiction job mm-hmm. but, but, but between writing that novel and then writing jim's book i worked with so many different CEOs and professionals helping them write their books and edited so many books and i don't know why but i'm just very lucky I get writing and I get books like it's just in my blood. I just get it. I just, it just makes sense. I just, like a client will send something to me and I'm like, this is wonderful in this paragraph. You need to change this or that because you know, at this point in the book, the reader's thinking this and if you say this here, that's going to confuse them or not ring true. Meanwhile, I know where you're coming from, but just the way you've written it here doesn't work. So move that to X chapter and then it'll work way better and have a much better effect with the reader and your book will be more engaging and they'll stick with you. Like I just, for some reason, get it. So I, I didn't have a normal path to being a ghostwriter. writer. Um, my training really came from working in words and working in books. I consciously chose not to go to uni and study writing because when I spoke to people who had, though, they said they loved it. They also said that they got like writer's block for 10 years. They like lost their, vo- their writing voice. And I remember someone describing to me that when you go to uni, like, you write something and then you read it to your class and everyone critiques your work. Yeah. Like I don't want to learn. I don't want people who don't know what they're doing critiquing my work and giving me stuff that I cannot think of a more ridiculously stupid way to learn a craft. It's like, oh, let's learn to be mechanics. Let's all go into mechanic shop. None of us know what we're doing. Let's just have some fun, see what happens, and the teacher might step in every now and again, saying, "Oh no, 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 that's not a tool you use that way. You're using it on the wrong part of the craft. like." You want to learn from the best. You learn from the best by reading and writing. Reading really great material. I listen to podcasts of great writers I love. And writing, working with different professionals. I've had so, I've worked with so many different types of books. I've put so many different books together that I just, you just learn through every job. And I think that's by far the best way to learn.
0: And did anyone ever ask you, like, is this is, you know, what most people are going through. Anyone ask you, have you had, do you have a degree? Have you had any tertiary education? Because uni is university in Australia or college yeah. equivalent in America. But did anyone ever ask you, like, do you have a degree? Yes. Yep. And then I just explained to them, no, I don't. These
1: are my... At the very beginning, I felt insecure about it. And then I realised, no, I have a way better education than that. Yeah. So I would say, no, I don't actually have a university degree. I very consciously chose not to. These are my credibility points. I wrote my first book at 13. You know, I wrote this other little nonfiction book in year 12. I've written a novel. I've written Jim's book, you know, the biography of one of Australia's iconic businessmen. I, um, and even before I had Jim's book, I was still quite confident. Like I've got all this experience. I've worked with all these different clients. You know, this is me. This is who I am. I very consciously chose not to do that um, for X and Y reasons. And this is who I am. And like, I had people like one of my clients who, um, whose book's also on my shelf, who I helped them, Um, write their book I remember them saying you know we interviewed a few people to to find like a book writing mentor and you were the youngest and appeared like the least technically experienced but there was you know but we chose you and there was and they chose me for a reason and I was very very honored that they did I love working with them they're great guys they they wrote the book together they're wonderful and um but they you know there was something in me that they said no actually we're going to go with her so I think that I think it's important to back yourself
0: Fantastic. And I have to say, Catherine, the reason why people, you feel that way, that you feel so strongly and so adamantly about your path, which I think is the best path, having not gone to university, is because you had that education from Steinem, which allowed you to really flourish and have your own mind and not be in that classroom being critiqued for... And then getting writer's block. I mean, I just find that incredible, that when you go to university, you get writer's book. What is what? It's supposed to help I you get out of writer's
1: block. A lot, but yeah, the people I spoke to said that they lost their writing voice because oh, their yeah. voice was so critiqued But all these people who didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. And I just thought, I don't want to lose my voice. I've got my writer's voice yeah. <laughs> for me. I love my writer's voice. I'm not doing that.
0: Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, the best path if someone wants to be a ghostwriter is they need to just learn to write and go get a mentor and just, in your opinion, just be on that path to just continually write, get themselves in that motion, listen to podcasts, and just find themselves a mentor. But they also need to, you also, you need to be really
1: good at a few things. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, <laughs> I mean, so to be a good ghostwriter, you need to have a really good understanding of emotional life and personal development because sometimes some of the material you're working with can be in that realm. You need to have a good understanding of business because <clears throat> sometimes the material you're working with can be in that realm. Now, you don't have to... Be an expert at all, and I tell my clients I do not need to be an expert in your subject matter whatsoever. Um, but that's that's up to you. You bring that to the table. Like I'm here to do this for you, and it's absolutely true. But it does help if like I I have an understanding of business. I love business. I've been around business. I date a man who runs his own business. You know, like when I say date, you know, we've been together forever, and we're going to get married, and I love him very much. Um, <laughs> it's a bit more the dating, but um, but so 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 there's that. There's also an understanding of like emotional life. There's an understanding it's important to have a really good understanding of storytelling. So I've been trained in storytelling, not just on the written page, but, and not just in presentations, but also in theatre and drama and improv.
0: How did you learn storytelling? Uh, so
1: I've, I've done a whole lot of different trainings in storytelling. So, is
0: that theatre,
1: so, is that writing,
0: is that speaking?
1: i was lucky enough in year 12 to have a drama teacher at school who was phenomenal. I think he's like Melbourne, if not Australia's best storyteller. He's insanely good. He works now with corporates and charities, helping them with storytelling. He's just phenomenal. So I was lucky enough to have him, him, excuse me, as my drama teacher in year 12. I loved him so much that I arranged um, with some friends from school afterwards for Bendigo Bank to give us, to like pay for him to give free drama classes to the community. Arranged like a grant through Bendigo Bank, which was wonderful. So we got to continue learning from him. Um, I've done one day workshops with him. He helped me with my year 12 presentation. You know, he was the person who was helping with that. I've also done trainings with the man for Clinton Swain, where I've learned extensive public speaking skills and storytelling skills in there too, and communication skills and business skills and personal development skills from him. I've also done other trainings with um, a whole lot of other people, Jeff and Kane, and um, they're not working together anymore, but they used to. Um, So anyway, I did like a whole lot of those kind of trainings. Um, So I think it takes an ability to be a good interviewer. You have to have good instincts to know what 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 to ask like like when you're interviewing them you obviously have a bit for all these questions that you want to ask them when you're interviewing them for the content of the book and that's developed from unpacking the book that session with them but you need to also have a bit of an instinct for what like like sometimes you just know like oh tell me more about that mm-hmm. um and that's just an instinct i have so i think it's really important to and then you also need to be really good at writing books so a lot of writers out there struggle to actually write books it's very it's a different it's a different experience so um so, yes, yeah, so if, if someone's wanting to be a start, I highly recommend
0: diving into all those different facets and I think it'll grow your career a lot. Okay. And how do you find, how do you market yourself? How do you get new clients?
1: So, it all started um, on LinkedIn for me, actually. Um, so, LinkedIn's fantastic. Um, if you create the, like, what you do to be something quite eye-catching and cool. So, for instance, um, my first one when I was a... Um, purely focused on wanting to get book mentoring clients, it was, I help CEOs and professionals write epic books. So it was very simple. I help CEOs and professionals write epic books like Catherine Moore's got, and that was my like tagline thing. Um, and then I would, you know, reach out and want to connect with different people, different CEOs and professionals who, I was hoping someone might be interested in writing a book. And then sure enough, like you connect with a whole lot of different people, you have a whole lot of different messages and out of talking to a lot of people, one or two come through. Um, So I did that, also networking, also referrals, and also I'm very lucky, um, my partner runs a digital marketing agency and he's himself a tech guy, so he's like really whizzed up on, I'm really not technical, and um, I don't like Word doc better than him and everything else on a computer he knows better. Um, So, uh, but he's, um, you know, he's incredible at SEO and just a wizard all that stuff. He got me ranking for Melbourne and Sydney for
0: Ghostwriter, so I'm first, which is yeah. So you do this full-time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing it full-time for a few years, for years now. Yeah. So in terms of someone wants to be a ghostwriter, and they, do you recommend that, is it enough to sustain a full-time income? Or should someone stick with their day job and do it part-time? Or just dive straight in and do it? Like, what would your recommendation be? I think it's very,
1: very... Um, I'm someone who likes financial security. I am very aware that, you know, to move through this world and eat and have a roof over your head and wear clothes that you like and be able to get from A to B, like all of that takes money. Everything we do every day, the water we drink, the free week, it all costs money. And to have a less stressful, more free like life, um, you need money. So I'm not an advocate personally, just because I'm that way inclined. So this isn't necessarily applicable for everyone, but because I'm that way inclined, I'm not, A fan of that philosophy of like the whole like entrepreneur just quit your job just do it. It's like what? Like that is so stressful. Do you know how much pressure that is? Like when I am having sales meetings with people, and if they don't choose to work with me, it's fine financially. I'm going to be able to be fine and support myself and eat and live and you know pay for my car like you know petrol in the car and I'm still going to be able to still do everything. I'm far better. If I need that it goes out the window and I learned that within my first very few months so I've never I I um when I first began I was waitressing on the side I just got back from New York I had this like crazy intense relationship with this American and we'd moved to London together and then America together and it was all intense and then that ended and I just spent six weeks in New York and it was super fun but super stressful and the relationship broke down and I came home and I was like right what am I going to do and I um a woman actually asked me she kind of had heard through um, my parents, she said, hey, I've heard you've written a few books. Could you help me write mine? And I was like, yeah, totally. And it was in helping her that I was like, oh my God, I could do this. I know so much about this. Like I thought everyone knew about this, but no, they don't. I could help them. So that's where it all began. And I was a waitress. I just got back to New York, like, you know, no money, starting afresh in Melbourne. And, um, and I started waitressing and I waitressed on the weekends and I found a really good waitressing job. They were wonderful. Um, really, really wonderful. Like sometimes waitressing can be I had zero of the bad experiences that often come with waitressing. Um, so yeah, they were really wonderful. And I just waitressed on the weekends and Monday to Friday. I was just building up my clientele and doing my thing. And, and it took, um, there was six months of that. So it took six months of me just going, all right. I was house sitting, like it was super, you know, I was like mm. 20, 21. I was house sitting, I was waitressing, my expenses were super low. And I was just like, awesome, I'm just going to, dedicate these five days of every week to booking and meetings and seeing where this goes. And in the six months, I managed to build it up that I quit my waitressing job and I started renting in the city and I was, I've been all set and just my business growing each year from there. So I gave myself that time to where it wasn't, I think it would have been far too stressful if yeah. I'd just not been doing anything else.
0: Yeah, no, no, I think that's brilliant. And I also find that a lot of the times when you turn a passion into a profession, when you go into that thing, we want to do that thing that we're passionate about, like writing. But a huge part of that is the marketing and sales aspect. And you spent five days a week in the beginning getting mm-hmm. sales calls. Did you find anything awkward, difficult, uncomfortable with doing sales calls? And, and, and sales calls in this case means you're pairing yourself up with someone who's interested to have their book written. And you're just seeing if there's a synergy that they want to work with you. Was there any? Anything- yeah. So
1: when I say five days a week, I wasn't. I didn't have that many leads. I wasn't talking to someone every day of the week. I was working to get leads and yeah, then to have those yeah, conversations. Yeah. You know, Most of the work. As soon as you have a lead, it's easy.
0: Mm-hmm. I love
1: talking to people. I love talking about their books. I'm one of I'm not a salesperson. I definitely feel uncomfortable with traditional sales tactics. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm honest. This is me. This is what I can do. This is the time frame I can do it in. This is how I can help you. Um, this is what it's gonna cost. And if you like that, fantastic. And if that's what you want, fantastic. But I'm very i'm very very like soft okay. um and it's also very important because you've got to understand in my work i'm going to be working with that person mm-hmm. solidly for like six months like i'm not a hard, like I, I just can't hard sell i just find it yeah. icky i'm not one of those people um and i know there are people who do it without any ickiness and they're actually quite lovely about it i'm not saying people who do it in that way are immoral or bad because there's that there's all of that right the bad car salesman like out there but you get people who are more what I would call natural salespeople that do it in a really nice way, not in a car salesman way. They are actually genuine and good, but they're just better at doing all that sales stuff. I'm just not. So, um, so yeah, I definitely found um, you know there was work in getting the leads, and then with the leads, when I was having those sales meetings, I just very quickly learned that I've just got to be just totally myself and and real, and that's the only way I can sell. And if they want it, they want it, and they'll come back to me. And if they don't, or well, Fine. I mean, it's a big job. like not everyone should sign up with me. It's a big thing having a book happen yeah. It's not like a little thing. You need to be sure that you want it.
0: Fantastic. So And having said that, when you wrote Jim Penman's book, Jim's group, did you did the opportunities line up for you after that because you wrote Jim Penman's book, or did you still have to now still, still you know harvest the field and still like, look for leads yourself?
1: I thought they would, but they didn't No. Um, Very disappointing, actually. Um, But I really thought they would. I was like, yes, this book's going to come out. I've made it. I'm done. All this work's going to flood in. I'm going to be busy for like the next two years. Not at all. So like at all. I have not gotten one lead, one person say, hey, I want to work with you off the back of Jim's book. What I have gotten is the leads that I've worked for have been more impressed with me. It's
0: like Mm. very incredible
1: know what i mean it's so like so it's a very credible thing to have done that so when i'm in a sales meeting it helps a lot it gives me a lot of credibility and that's fantastic and i appreciate that but i'm still doing everything i have to do to get leads into my business and And that's also something that's important about turning passion into something that you're doing full-time is you you really it doesn't matter how passionate you are about something. You have to learn the basics of business. You have to learn invoicing. You have to learn zero. You better get a good accountant because it's confusing sometimes. You've got to learn some sense of sales tactics. Not that I do sales tactics, but I can communicate. I can articulate. I can share who I am and how I can help people like well. And you need to be able to do that. Um, Particularly if you're in writing, like you need to be a good communicator in person because writing's communication, like you need, to, you need to show some sense of confidence and you know who you are and you know what you're doing. So if you wanna you know, turn your passion into a business, I think it's really, really important. Like my boyfriend and I are both into business and I'm very lucky to be dating someone who's very switched on with business. I um, mean, he's helped me grow a lot. Like honestly, he's helped me grow my business so, so much. And that's honestly because I wasn't as clued up about business. And my business grew heaps thanks to him. Sometimes it would just be like someone was emailing me back to negotiate me on my price, and I'm like, I can't do it for that low price. Like I can't actually cut that down. Like, but what I didn't, I didn't know how to communicate. And he says, Hey, like write it like this. So instead of being like, No, I can't do that from a fair place, just be like, Hey, yeah, we totally could do that price, but it's just going to mean you're going to receive this rather than this. So let me know if that's what you want or not. And then they come back going, Oh no no, no we want the full thing for the normal price. That's fine, thank you. Like. So that you know, so like he's helped me in all those kind of things, and you need a mentor in business to help you do that. And Mm. I was just very lucky um, that I fell in love with him, and he fell in love with me, and we're building a (laughs) life
0: together. But well, if someone can't replicate having a partner as in digital marketing, (laughs) then in that case, yes. And it's, it's, I mean, I I also find there's a lot of free information online. That's as long as you don't get like you know sucked into the vortex of the online world. There are a lot Mm. of good. Um, videos on what to look out for, how to write emails going back and forth. I mean, those little things that you need from time to time, There are really good resources if you just start following one person and then just really follow what the work that they're doing. You can get, you know, if you don't have a digital marketer as a... <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so, yes, Dave very helped me lots with digital marketing, but you can also just find your own digital marketing agency and pay them, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And also, I had a mentor when I first met Dave, my partner, um, I was you know, doing my thing and it was just in that very beginning phase where I was those first six months where I was still waitressing and stuff. And, um, and I had a mentor. I was, I was helping him write his book for free and in exchange, he was mentoring me in business and he was a really switched on businessman. So I had a mentor. And I think I, think I, I don't know, six, eight, nine, ten 10 months, like I worked with him until, and then during that time, Dave and I you know, got more and more and more serious. And I ended up having more and more conversations with him and then that, that mentorship kind of naturally eased out and that was fine. But him and I both have other mentors today. You need, like you so need mentors.
0: It's so important. So can I ask you, when you wrote the book for that mentor in exchange for him mentoring you, did you ask? I was, I
1: was helping him write his own book. That yes. was when I was, doing, I was doing book writing, mentoring with him, not ghostwriting. writing.
0: Okay, but did you ask for his help? Like did you actually, yeah, okay. So that's how you just went up and asked him, Let's do this in exchange, like a bar.
1: I, I knew him from when I was younger. Um, from when I was going to all these different personal and business development events, I met him, and he was lovely. And um, and we reconnected a few years later, and he was, you know, maybe interested in a book, and I was like, and and he was kind of almost unofficially giving me a few pointers. I was like, hey, what if we, you know, we did this? Yeah. Or maybe he's. I can't remember now. My memory is foggy, but we're both mutually very happy with the arrangement.
0: Right. Fantastic. So can you give us, for those who are listening, how we're considering doing ghostwriting, considering trialing it out, can you give us an example as how much, as a ballpark figure in a bracket, how much someone would be able to charge them for writing a book? So for example, you need to ghostwrite for someone in business who is a CEO of a company, for example. So between what, five to 10,000, you could, a ball range of what you would be asking for. Like what's the price range that people would be charging so that they can project what kind of income they would be able to get going into this field?
1: So, in my experience, it varies from like 20 grand to over 100 grand. Okay. Um, and that just depends on skill. So, if you are doing your first book, um, you're going to be worked so much more hours than this. You're going to virtually make no money for the amount of hours you actually spend, but like 10 grand, I wouldn't charge any more than that. Like, you need to know what you're doing to charge 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 grand for a book. Um, I certainly don't charge anywhere near the hundred grand, but I charge much more than ten grand. Like I'm, it's many months of work for a book. Mm. Um, ten grand is just nowhere near enough. Um, but when you're starting, you, I don't think you could charge any more than that because you have to be really good. Like, you, like all those different points that I covered, you really have to know what you're doing. You have to have an affinity with words. You have to be a good writer. You have to be a good editor. You have to be a good content writer. You have to be a good storyteller writer. You have to have an understanding of how someone reads a book and the different um the diff- like the journey that you're taking them on so that you get the structure of the content and the stories right and that's very hard and that takes a lot of working and editing when you're working in it but you have to have an affinity for that so um so yeah so as far as like a potential you know future earnings um I would say once you know what you're doing 20 grand um you know start doing 20 grand and then maybe up at 5 or 10k a little bit mm-hmm. um but then I yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not even charging 50 grand yet. Like, you'd, I think I'd have to be maybe in my 30s if I write a few more really successful books and my profile grows more, I can be like, yeah, you know what, I don't, I don't want to work quite as intensely anymore. Maybe I'll have a bit more of a name. I think you almost have to have a bit more of a name yeah. that you're small small brand. Yeah. and to write my book, like as a brand to get above 50. Like, I'm not, I'm not there. That would be a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is what's interesting because... Have, you having said that gives a really clear, indi- gives an indication as to what you could be potentially charging. What, and the, the, the obvious thing is the foundation is the love of words. You have to love writing. You have to love sitting behind a desk and taking mm-hmm. some story and putting that on paper and make, as you say, taking that reader on that journey and intuiting mm-hmm. what they're feeling, what they're thinking so that you can preempt that in the writing. And, and as- I've, met,
1: I've met writers who are very good at content writing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I've had conversations, they've been like, oh yeah, I can write a book in a month. And I'm like, really, like a month? You can write a really good book in a month? Like, if you're writing a book in a month, I would, I would suggest that you're missing something. Um, just because it might be a great content book, but how engaging is it? Because I've, I've personally never seen a good book happen in a month. So it takes you need to you need to charge enough once you're really good to give the time to do a ridiculously good job. You need to give it your best job. There's many rounds of editing. There's let, let alone all the different rounds of feedback and editing that happen with your client to make sure they're still helping sculpt it with you so it really feels like it's their book it has to be and that's the thing you have to take on their words and their way of expressing things as much as you can as well it can be tricky um, but you need to be focused on doing that and and on saying to them hey when you're reading this first draft highlight any words in here that like are not a word that you would say and i'll like let me know what you'd say instead like i need this to be you mm. um so
0: yeah okay. it's fun i love it <laughs> yeah no i i can see the passion that you have for it so Having read, or having written that Jim Penman, is there anything that you learned from Jim Penman that stood out to you? Because when you're writing people's stories, is there anything that you kind of feel like, oh, I've got to watch out for myself and like watch for that aspect in my life or stay away from this? Because you're learning from these stories. Is there anything in Jim Penman's stories that you realized or you thought, I've got to watch out for this or I've got to do this or I don't shouldn't do that? So I learned a lot from Jim
1: as far as what he did to make Jim's, what originally it was Jim's mowing and now the Jim's group grow. Um, for people who read that book, it's his very, very odd, interesting character. Like, it's very fascinating. <laughs> he's so, there was so many times I was like, what? Um, so he's also made some blunders that are like, how could, like, whoa. So, um, but, but there's some things that I learned, like, for instance, the way, but this is very specific to franchising, but the way that he incentivized his franchisees and franchisors was incredible incredible he was very generous he, he shared a lot of the like he actually didn't make very much money for the first many years um but it meant that everyone else was making really good money and doing really well so everyone was talking about it and Jim's was just going and going and going and going because everyone was loving it because it was a very fair system but I would say the biggest learning that I personally got from the book there are so many learnings from from Jim and from other people I interviewed for the book um, but the biggest thing that I actually learned was and it's very hard but you really have to remember there are always like three or more sides to a story. We are so used to reading headlines and it'll talk about a politician or a celebrity and we can't help it. We make that little snap judgment after reading that headline. And it is so false. You have no idea how many times I would interview someone and they would tell me their story. And I'm a very empathetic person and I'd really feel for them. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow, that sounds intense. Like, someone did what to you they said what that sounds and then you interview that person and then you're having so much empathy for them and they're describing all this stuff that the other person missed out and then you realize that somewhere in the middle it's two people with different personalities and different values and they're both lovely and they both misunderstood each other and stuff went wrong and sometimes maybe one sure was worse than the other or something but you realize that there's nothing black and white there is I don't think there are people out there, there might be few in the world, but I, think, I don't think most people have bad intentions. People go on about you know, Scott Morrison or whatever in the press. I don't think he has bad intentions. He has a set of values and he's working insane hours, probably harder than you or I ever will to bring about change to a country he loves that he thinks is right. Now, whether you agree with that or not is another thing, but I think it's really important to realize that most people are actually doing what they think is the right thing. And as soon as you hear something about someone, whether it's someone you know, it's family member, a friend about another friend or someone in the press, hold judgment until you've investigated the other side. Because there were so many times in writing Jim's book that I couldn't, I, I was finding myself judging something. And maybe it was like, Jim is like, Jim did that to you? Oh my God. And then you interview Jim and you're like, oh, I, okay, I can kind of, yeah. If I, I kind of get knowing Jim and knowing his personality, I get that, that makes sense. Like. They, they left out these details and vice versa. Sometimes Jim would say something and then I'd interview that person. I'm like, yeah, but Jim, you kind of did this too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, yeah. It, I think it's so important to move through life, realising that there's always another side to the story that you're missing. Even when you think you of all the facts, you know, you know that that was a horrible situation. There are more facts.
0: Oh, I think that's a beautiful life like life nugget that you take with because when you have a disagreement with someone, for sure, it's your part of the story that you're holding onto, but that other person's got an equally you know, thrilling, <laughs> engaging part of the story that they're holding on to. and it's just miscommunication. And you don't want to admit it's miscommunication, or you don't have some details, but it's at the end of the day, like you say, and like you've experienced, it's just two nice people who things just got cr- like crumbled up, bubbled up completely, that you just can't make sense of what's going on anymore, and then you just take grudges on for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's just brilliant. And I think that's, that's a, I think one of the reasons why passion is so important is because how it develops you. Sure. The craft is what's at hand, but how you're being developed as in terms of sculpting your character, sculpting who you are is the ultimate reward because of these things that like the byproducts that you would never have imagined that you're taking on board and applying to your own life is what the real gold is. Wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. 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 It's wonderful. It's um, I don't think there's a more, I don't think there's a life path that takes you more to your edge in beautiful ways and takes you more into really finding who you are. Like it's very, you know, like I, I can say no to books and yes to books. Like I can say no, depending on whether I, I I think that person's personality or values, I'm just not going to work very well with them. I get to, I get to so kind of craft my reality so much through the work that i do and then i get to work with such fascinating people and i learn so much from them and it's so interesting and i grow through all the books that i write and i can't think of you know like i can't think of anything else that would that would grow me more like it's just wonderful
0: yeah yeah and that speaks to your passion well i want to just end it on that katherine because this has been such an entertaining such an insightful interview thank you so much for your time it really yeah. has opened my eyes to what you do what ghostwriting is And the the sincere passion that you have for your craft. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely chatting about it.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate your time and attention to listening to the podcast. I will catch you on the next episode. And as always, my advice to myself and to you is that life is a gift. And together with each episode, let's unbox it. God bless.